Starting at verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, he said. Jesus sternly, come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this thing and you teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region in Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with Jesus and John. Uh, went James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him, and he begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning see that you don't tell this to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them instead he went out and began to talk freely spreading the news and as a result Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for your word and we just ask now that you will speak to us through it, not through the words of man, not through the things that I say, but the things that you say through your word. And our Father, we know that you can meet us wherever we are. You can supply our every need. So just speak to us now as we ask it in his precious name. Well, we've been looking through Mark's Gospel, and I did say at the beginning that Mark is its the first Gospel that was written. Uh, we tend to think that Matthew is the first Gospel, but Mark was actually the first Gospel to be written. 
And Mark is the shortest gospel. But Mark has more miracles recorded than Matthew does and that Luke does. And Mark writes in, in a very fast way. You have words which are sort of immediately and right away. And these words are, are taking us fastly through the accounts. And we said that sometimes it's good to do that, to get to the point. And we said the whole point of the gospel is that Mark tells us at the beginning who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. That phrase, we said, covers both Jew and Gentile. Because the Jews would know about the Messiah, but the Gentiles wouldn't. But the Gentiles would relate to the word, the Son of God. So they too would, would know. And when we come to the end of Mark's Gospel, we see that he has accomplished what he came to do. Because he gives the account of the centurion of the cross, who is a Gentile, who sees Jesus on the cross, and what does he say? Surely this is the Son of God. So he knows that. And Mark is telling this to us all the way through so that Jew and Gentile would understand it but he's speaking more to the Gentiles he's bringing Jesus the servant and the Gentile people will understand that more than Jesus the Messiah they will understand the Messiah eventually but you know we're Gentiles so we don't understand the Old Testament as well as a Jewish person would it's good for us to do it and to get to know the Old Testament that's what we're doing on a Wednesday as we're going through the book of Judges but initially, we need to know who Jesus is. And I said last week, imagine you're the first readers of this gospel. You are Christians, you're in a church, a mixture of Jew and Gentile who have accepted Christ as their saviour. And you're reading this for the first time. And it's really the only real access you've got. The Jews have got the Old Testament, but you're a Gentile and you don't have that. But you've got this letter that's come from Mark and it's the good news the gospel, that word the gospel we say the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark gospel of Luke, gospel of John no, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ it's the good news of who Jesus is and that's what we're learning as we go through this and we've read here um, from verse 21 through and it's quite a big section we'll just see how far we get through it as we have a look at it well notice how Mark is not so much telling us about what Jesus said that is important. But he's telling us more about what Jesus has done. And last week we said that first impressions are obviously given not by what we say, but by what we do. I said about people watching. Uh, we like to people watch and we watch people and we don't hear what they say. We see what they do and we form an opinion. I said it last week. Um, we, we, we look at, at somebody, you know, you sit there, you're having a cup of coffee, people walk past and you go, Ooh. The state of him, the state of error. <laughs> we start to make comment, we form an opinion. <coughs> so we looked at that last week, so we won't go any more into that. But this is what Mark is doing. He's saying, look at what Jesus is doing, I'm telling you. I'm also telling you what he said, but look at what he's doing. And in doing that, you as a Gentile, you will begin to see who he really is. You will begin to see his authority. You will begin to see the things that the Jewish people expected him to be. But you will see that he is that person who maybe the Jews who have become Christians talk about in more of a personal way. He is God. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so we come to these passages, and we read, now they went to Capernaum. There's one of those words again. Mark is, you know when you're going to relate something to somebody, you've had a holiday, 
just come back from Canada. You're not going to tell us everything you did. You're not going to tell us in the order. You're going to tell us what you want us to know. And you're going to go through it quickly. You know what? We did this, and then we did that. And then we went here. And then, we, and then this happened. Not necessarily in that order. But you want to get those things in. That's what Mark is doing. And, you know, it's like quickly we were there, and quickly we were there. And, and this is what Mark's doing. And you get these words, you get this feeling. Uh, and it's an enthusiasm as well. Now they went to Capernaum. Where's Capernaum? It's by the Sea of Galilee. It's the home where Peter lived. At the time, it was a big commercial fishing centre. The Romans were there. You know, the Romans commandeered a lot of the shipping boats. And they moved into that shipping industry. The rest would be owned by family businesses, like we saw last week. And so because you had all that commerce, you had a lot of other things going on. And it was a very busy place. I've been to Capernaum. And when we were at Capernaum, um, they take you to uh, this synagogue, the ruins of a synagogue. Now, the synagogue is no longer there. It's in ruins. But what the archaeologists have found out when they've gone below that synagogue that is in ruins, there was another synagogue. And they date that to the time when Mark wrote his gospel. The time when Jesus walked his earth. And also, amongst those excavations, they found a house next door to the synagogue, which also had a courtyard. Now, in that house, in the ruins of that house, which is from the time of Jesus... They found what the archaeologists call Christian um, uh, sort of graffiti. Gra- graffiti. They call it Christian graffiti. That's what they refer to it. What they found was texts referring to Jesus and things written in that ruins. And most of the commentators will tell us that it's highly likely that this house next to the synagogue with the courtyard was the place where Peter lived. How about that? Isn't that great? So, you're in Capernaum now, and that old synagogue, not the one that's now gone, but the one that was before it, that was there before that one was there, is there. And Peter's house is there. And it's busy, and there's a lot of people. And they're in Capernaum. And it's the Sabbath. Where did they go? Where would Jesus go? He went to the synagogue. Why? Why did he go to the synagogue? Why did Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, have to go to the synagogue? Well, we can find out why. Because he was completely human, as well as being completely God. We see his human nature. And we're going to see another reason why he would go to the synagogue. And what happened when he went to the synagogue? He taught. didn't actually go there to do miracles. He went to teach. You see, the way the synagogues worked was that there would be a leader of the synagogue and the leader would be responsible for all the administration. It wouldn't necessarily be the rabbi. But what would happen is the rabbi would maybe do the speaking and the teaching. But if there was a visitor who came in and they had some kind of standing, they would be asked to speak. So it would be like, you know, we come here this morning, I'm here, and Derek comes in and I just say, Derek, will you speak? And that's how it worked in the synagogue. And so Jesus would have been expected to teach. And he did. So they went into the synagogue. And Jesus began to teach. 
That's what we read here in that first bit. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And what do we read? The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. That's the first thing I want you to get hold of. When Jesus spoke, he did nothing other than speak. He did nothing other than be given a scroll, which is the Holy Scriptures, as we know, as the Old Testament. And he began to teach from them. And he spoke, and it was the power of his word. It was the depth of his teaching that amazed the people. Why were they amazed? That word amazed, if you look at the Greek, I don't do Greek, but I look at what the commentators say. And there's more than just being amazed. There's a degree of fear. A degree of fear. Why? Why were the people amazed? Why were the people afraid, a little afraid? All Jesus was doing was teaching the word of God. And you know, when you realise whose word it is, and it's God who's speaking, yes, we should be afraid. That is the beginning of knowledge, to recognise who God is, and to stand back in amazement, in awe, and yes, in fear. If the Queen walked in here, I would be afraid. I would be in awe. I wouldn't know what to say. My jaw would drop, and I would go, ugh. And I would recognise her authority. And as soon as she spoke, I would think, whoa, it is the Queen. And I would have that degree. That's how, you know, we get too flippant. When we come in the presence of God, when we gather around his word, we get flippant, we get familiar with it. We fail to recognise who Jesus is. These people, they heard, why, why, why was it different? What was the difference? They didn't know what it was. They just knew that it wasn't like anything they'd heard before. It wasn't like the preachers of the day. It wasn't like the scribes who knew the law inside out and would teach the law. All those people who were there in that synagogue, they'd been taught by the scribes from when they were children. They could recite the law. When it was in Israel that time, we passed, and this, the windows, no glass in them, just open windows, and there were children in there, and they could recite whole passages of Scripture. And yet this stranger to them comes in, opens the word of God, begins to teach them, and they stand back in awe, in a degree of fear, in a degree of amazement, because they recognize that he is more than just a man. He is God, speaking his own words. Imagine that. And you know, he hasn't done one miraculous thing yet. Not here, not in front of these people. He will do he will do. But notice the order. It was just his words when he taught the words of God that made them stand back in amazement. So what do we learn? That the people were amazed. They were amazed at the authority that he had. They were amazed with words and authority that they were not familiar with. 
They recognized that even at this point when he was speaking, his authority went beyond human capability. Think about that. And why shouldn't it go beyond human capability? Because it was Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah, did you get that? God with them. God with us this morning. Here is where. But they learned more than that. They saw something now of another side of his identity. Demons acknowledged him. Demons knew who he was. I refer to this again, but just bear this in mind. What is happening here? God is now on earth. And Satan knew. And Satan knew who he was. He's already tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Because he knows who Jesus is. Satan can't be everywhere all the time. He's not God. But he does have those who are his. And I'm going to suggest to you that when Jesus walked this earth, Satan was at the height of his power and his concentration was on the man who was the son of God. You get that? You've got to get hold of that. You know, we get confused about this and say, oh, I've not seen anybody demon-possessed today. No. <laughs> and maybe you never will. There is evil out there. That, that is a fact. But you might never see it. And you begin to think, oh, well, you've got to realise what's happening here. And what are we taught? We wrestle not just against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And all those principalities and powers were there and trying, trying, trying to demolish the work that was being done through the man who is Christ Jesus. And in demolishing that work, how did Satan do it? He had to go attempting him in the wilderness. What did Satan say? He, he went away thinking, I'll wait till a more opportune time. When was the more opportune time? The more opportune time was when people were listening to him. And so Satan and his minions will disrupt that. We'll disrupt that. But he failed. When did his more opportune time come? The most opportune time that came for Satan was at the foot of the cross when the Son of God hung and died and gave up his life, entered freely into death. And what happened at the foot of that cross? What did the people say? If you're the Son of God, come down. That's what Satan did, didn't he? <laughs> In the wilderness, if you're the Son of God, turn those stones into bread. What did he say at the foot of the cross? He spoke to the words of the people who were there. The evilness was there. Come on. See if you can come down. If you're God, get off that cross. So there's a lot going on here that we miss because we read it. How do we read it? We read it with what we think we know. You've heard it preached before. We skipped through that little passage there and we got to the next bit and the next bit. and You've got to stop and you've got to get in in your mind what is really happening here it's true 
It's real. It's graphic. Just then a man, um, where are we? Because he taught them, they had authority, not just as teachers of the law, just then a man in their synagogue. Who put him there? We wrestle not against just nature or principalities. And he was possessed of an evil spirit and he cried out. Now listen to what this man said. And this is in the middle of Jesus' teaching. This is in the middle of people being amazed and listening to what Jesus is saying. Now Satan's going to disrupt it. You know, <laughs> do you ever sit in the middle of somebody preaching and then you suddenly think, did I turn the gas off? Did I lock the door? Oh, you know what? I've got to go such a place tomorrow. You're getting disrupted, you know. Well, this man, what did he do? He cried out, what did he say? Jesus of Nazareth. He knew him. He knew his name. He knew where he was from. Then his question, have you come to destroy us? Jesus came to save. Why would they say, have you come to destroy us? And then he goes on, I know who you are. And then he says, the Holy One of God. Jesus has authority. God spoke three times, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. He did it at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus had that authority. Do we recognise the power and the authority of Jesus? It's not just good enough to know who he is, but to know that he is mine. We sang the hymn last week. And the hymn was 894. My Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. How well do we know Jesus, who we claim as being ours? These demons within this man, they knew his name. They knew where he was from. They knew who he was. And they knew his purpose in order to bring salvation to you and I would be to defeat evil and the power of Satan. They knew all that. And they spoke it through the words of this man. Think about that. Be quiet, Jesus said. And that word sternly, that means he said it with authority. He said it with anger. He could see the results of sin. He could see the power of Satan coming against him again. And that be quiet wasn't just be quiet. That be quiet was... You shut up. You ever been spoken to like that? <laughs> Sometimes in school days, you know, you, you, you're there and you sort of say something to the person next to the teacher. Frost, shut up. <laughs> and you go, oh, oh, 
It's not just, will you please be quiet? It's, whoa, that and the power is there and the authority is there and the power and the authority was there. Be quiet. And you know what? He then said, come out of him. And the evil spirit shook and the man violently came out of him with a shriek. That's because of his authority and his power. But remember why it's happening. This is Satan. He's going to continue doing this. The scribes and the Pharisees are going to try and trick Jesus and trip him up in all kinds of different ways. And what did the people say now? They were already amazed. They already stood back in fear. They already recognized something of Jesus that it was more than, it was beyond human capability. And now they see some evidence of it. And what did they say? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. Get that? You're getting a feeling for the power and the authority of who Jesus is. The power and the authority who these people are now realizing he is. And the confirmation to the first readers of this gospel. As they begin to see and feel the power of the one in whom they put their trust. You get that? The encouragement they would have. They've got very little resource. There's people in other countries where there's great persecution. They might not even have a Bible. If they do, they probably share it amongst themselves. You hear of places where they get a Bible within the church. They will divide it up and give it to the congregation. And you read the little bits, then it will come back and you'll share it that way. Because they don't have the resource. But what they have, they have the power and the authority of who Jesus is. And you know, in those situations, when you read these words, you'll be more encouraged than we are because we're too soft. We're too soft. It's been said many times. People have come back from spending a week or two on the mission field and they come back and before they've left, they said to the people who are under persecution, what would you like us to pray for? And the answer will come, whatever you do, don't pray that the persecution be taken away. That's what we pray for, don't we? No, no, they'll say, pray that we will be strong enough, that our faith will be strong enough. This is the place that God has put us. No. So, this is what's happening here in the synagogue. And we read the quickly his reputation began to spread. And it did. And the next section, am I going to look at this and next week because time is going but what happens now is uh, they will come out of the synagogue and they will go to the home of Simon Peter and we'll see something else happen there what I want you to notice read through Mark's gospel and I want you to think about this because we're going to come to this eventually. That these demons within these people knew what the scribes and the Pharisees didn't know. The ones who were familiar with the promise of the Messiah and the history of their nation. They didn't know who Jesus was. Some would eventually. But right at the beginning here, these demons knew. 
And when you see his reputation spread, and you might think this strange, but it's true, some of the goodness that he did was becoming a hindrance to the work they should have been doing for the work that he came to do. You're going to see that in Mark's Gospel. You're going to see that in the next section as we approach it. Put that into today's situation. What do people want Jesus to do? They'll say, I don't believe in God because there's too much suffering in the world. If God is God, why doesn't he come? And You know, I've got a limp because my leg hurts. Can't he make that better? I need a new car. <laughs> Can't he give me a new car? That's not what he came to do. He has the power to do that. He has the power to heal. But he came to heal the soul. He can't heal the body. And he does. We see that with the leper. The words of the leper, if you are willing. Didn't doubt that he could. Three men in the fire. Throw us in. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. God can save us, but if he doesn't, we won't doubt it. Pain my hip won't go away. <laughs> Paul's thorn in his flesh didn't go away. But his faith wasn't weakened by it. His faith was strengthened by it. No. A lot of things to think about there. We will see our final hymn. Before we do this, Father, we thank you for your word. We just come before you and confess that we we have limited knowledge and limited understanding. And very often the things that we come up with are things which you what will be to my benefit. But Lord, let us think what will be to the benefit of the gospel. Teach us, lead us, open our hearts and our minds, strengthen our faith. Is any here who have not taken that step of faith? Let us recognize who you are. Let us recognize your love and your compassion, but also see that you are the one who must be true and true to judgment. And in our sinful state, we stand condemned. But we can be clothed in your righteousness because of what you have done.